So each year before um, Easter, our nursery school classes have a uh, lesson on nature and the wonders of nature, which means that annually the aquarium with wood shavings and a heat lamp is set up in one of the Sunday school classrooms down the hall. And oh yes, many, many fertilized white eggs are soon huddled under the heat lamp. And over many days, the impatient little children come running in to check in the aquarium to see if there's any activity, any crack in the egg, any new life coming forth. And finally, that day comes, and there is a crack in the egg, and the baby chick emerges, perhaps a little moist, and it falls over, and then is baked by the lights, and pretty soon stands up, and then there's two, and three, and four, and eight, and ten are born, and they're peeping and running around. Maybe you've had this experience in your own home with your children. And they're eating grain amazingly quickly right out of the egg. I knew that this uh, glorious blessed event had happened um, that morning when I heard a knock on my office door a few hours later. The newborns had arrived, but the teacher was cradling in her arms the entire aquarium, and uh, she came in with Laura a big concern on her face. Pastor, she said, I think we need a prayer for one of our chicks. And I sat there thinking, they don't prepare you for this in seminary. So she set the aquarium down on my desk and pointed out the little crippled one who was pressed against the glass, whose legs didn't work, who was just sustaining himself by leaning into the edge of the uh, corner of the glass. He hadn't eaten a thing, and his siblings were walking all over him, and it was really quite heartbreaking to see. Add to that that his merciless siblings were pecking at him on top of everything else uh, without mercy. Of course, who was there maternally to be able to protect and coddle this newborn? The wee one had no one, actually, to look out for his well-being. Well, I did pray, and he did rally for a day, and I was shocked and almost afraid of what had happened, and then he died. So, if he'd had a mother hen, who knows? If it wouldn't have been a source of strength, protection, and she would have known what to do to sustain his life. And also discipline the other greedy babies who were being a little bit heartless. Now, at the last service, when I shared peace, (laughs) I got the comment from maybe some poultry specialists that the, Diane, they said, the mother hen would have killed the baby. I said, well, that doesn't fit well into what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And so I said quickly, yes, but Jesus wouldn't, and Jesus is the hen in my story. (laughs) So I think Jesus would agree But I do love this gospel today. I love it, I love it, I love it. It's one of the few, as I said, that talks about Jesus in such an interesting manner as a a mother hen. Uh, The cock may have crowed when Peter denied Jesus three times, but here Jesus is the mother hen, urgently gathering his chicks, her chicks, hard to know which way to go, under her wings to protect and guide them. Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite preachers, would remind us how a hen's heart and other vital organs are completely exposed to the fox with her wings open. 
And this is the posture taken figuratively as Jesus is saying, warning uh, that fox Herod in our gospel lesson, that he will eventually take such a posture as well, literally with arms wide open to gather all people to himself on the cross. Jesus is warned by friendly Pharisees at the beginning of our gospel today that King Herod, a fellow Jew, is out to get him. But Jesus is too focused on his saving mission, casting out demons and healing the poor, calling sinners back to God's nest, to be bothered about his own safety, like the mother hen. Jesus named, uh, names corrupt Herod a fox in this. Jesus is the chicken, and Herod, who is hunting him down, is the fox. Now, a fox doesn't mean here a woman who is very classily dressed, and hot and all that stuff. She is a fox in some ways, but Herod is not that particular meaning. He is one who is murderous in hunting down uh, other people in his kingdom, so to speak. And now he's after Jesus. Herod's house and dynasty, you see, have not been exemplary or faithful to God as they have ruled. There were multiple divorces. There was incestuous relationships, murders, power-hungry motives in their reign over the many, many years. And Herod is one of Jesus' own people. Yet he has not been willing to be gathered under God's rule and laws, tempted instead by the lure of power and wealth and being approved of by Rome. Herod is living in Galilee in the temple there. So has the religious leadership, however, in Jerusalem been co-opted by politics and the Roman law. They like to be protected by Rome, and they equivocate on being faithful to God. So for centuries, Jewish leaders abandoned their own broken people, ignored the prophets calling them to repent and come home to their God. So Luke has used the name in our gospel today, Jerusalem, here as a character, We say in our gospel lesson, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired, said Jesus, to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her brood, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, therefore. Your house is left to you. And you won't see me again until... The crowd says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Then you will really see what you have been up against. And so Jerusalem, Luke uses the name Jerusalem here, not only as a city, but as a character. It's not just a place. It represents a whole group of behaviors of uh, disloyalty to God. The entire city represents rejection and will be apparent when later Jesus comes and is crucified And all cry out to Pontius Pilate as the one to do the right thing. Now Jesus refers to all of this religious betrayal when he says, How often have I desired to gather you children together as a mother hen, and you were not willing. And what is the consequence? See, says Jesus, your house is left to you. Which to most of us would be great. Nobody took our house. We got the mortgage. We weren't, you know, we didn't disqualify ourselves. But that's not what it means. In Luke, 
They leave off the one word that are in the other Gospels when this saying is made. And that last word, your house is left desolate to you. Indeed, the house, the temple in Jerusalem, as you know, was destroyed around the year 70 AD after the crucifixion of Jesus. And what he is saying is your temple and all of your um, behaviors and all your uh, irreligious um, loyalties will bring down your house of worship, will bring down the temple. And in fact, it did come down in 70 AD after Jesus. But also the daily lives and the households of the chosen people did not reflect well the love and loyalty they had to God. And so Jesus was making a double entendre, your house of worship. And sometimes I think in America we are bemoaning the fact that so many churches are closing in our city down in Philadelphia, Lutheran churches, there are Anglican churches, all kinds. A Protestant movement is uh, suffering great uh, demise in numbers of people who at least come to the church to show their faith and to worship. And so we could be saying also... Our houses are being left desolate as well. And what is it we need to reform and change and do better in our Christian walk that will make it contagious and exciting and wonderful to have people come to be in this community? Something for us to think about as well. But today, our Lenten spiritual journey toward Christ's passion and death, we are called to examine our priorities and our loyalties. It is the work of Lent, these 40 days. Jesus isn't just speaking about the temple, as I said. He's challenging each one of us, his independent and rebellious brood of pastors and bankers and athletes and teachers and politicians, parents and teenagers, millennials, to ask ourselves, are we willing to be gathered under his wing? And show the world to whom we belong. Are we willing to be gathered? Pastor author Len Sweet says, It's not much of a stretch to apply the house desolate to our lives. An unattended life. I love that, that thought. An unattended life. Like you're just blindly going through the motions every day. Maybe it feels that way. You've got so much on your agenda. You've got, you know, you've got to get to work and you've got to get the kids to school and then you've got to pick them up and then you've got sports practice and you've got to do your calls at night and you've got to make sales and you've got to do this and you've got to do your research. You've got to write papers. You get ready for class and it's another day. Just like a robot going through it. An unattended life. One littered with missed opportunities, broken relationships, repeated procrastinations, a lack of empathy, unkept promises, false starts, yielded to temptations, selfish priorities, and the like, says Sweet, can quickly become a forsaken house or household. And so Lent is the time to intensify our examination of where we're going and why we're doing what we're doing and why do we feel the way we feel if it's not good? Is there something we can change? Is there someone we can go to for protection and counsel and renewal? Oh, wait. Yes. I think that's the point of Lent, to renew our baptismal promises to God as number one and our Savior. Lent is a time to intensify our devotion. Take five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. Go on our, uh, our 
Facebook, uh, Pastor Anderson has put out, you know, the Bible summaries. You can get a whole book summarized in 30 seconds every day. A new book of the Bible is put out there. If you don't know your Bible, go out there. You'll have 30 seconds worth of summary at least. And that will be more than you had maybe yesterday on some of these. Or there's Lenten books all over the coffee bar uh, tables out there for you to take home and read. Or do something new at dinner time with your family. There is a million ways to do something extra during Lent. We talk about giving it up. Okay, don't give up anything unless it's being so busy that you can't think straight. And breathe. Take a walk. Some people have a walk as a big deal in their life. They don't even have time to take a walk, which is spiritual renewal in itself, just being out in nature can renew you. It's not complex, but choose something that will get you back a sense of your humanity in God's eyes. And so Lent is that time for spiritual practices that bring God back front and center. Let our light so shine before others that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven was our baptismal promise as we were anointed with the cross which we are to bear to all the world. We have numerous opportunities in our neighborhoods, at swim meets and basketball games, at the company lunchroom, in the research lab, or with grieving neighbors to model our faith and our loyalty to Christ and all that he can bring. Gather them in wherever they are. Our congregation Sundays and weekdays needs to be a community of love and grace and openness to all visitors and all members who feel scattered and outside the wingspread of our Savior. Gather them in. And what if we were to change the city of Jesus' lament from Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Philadelphia, Philadelphia, city of so much violence and poverty, of inadequately resourced public schools and neighborhoods, where the next generation longs for equal opportunities, a city in the news that sees daily crime and murder and drug wars, stealing innocent children from their future, gather them in. And we cannot neglect those needs in suburbia as well. It is not only in Philadelphia. Bishop William Willimon once said, I asked my German exchange student on his way back to Germany what would be the most vivid memory that he would have of Durham, North Carolina, where he would take, which he would take home to his family and friends after two years of living with us. And what do you think he said? He said, I will take back the poverty and the incredible number of homeless in Durham, city of great universities. Well, my fellow chicks, and that includes you men, do we want to be gathered? Do we truly want to be closer to the heart of God under the protective wings of Jesus? Then join, <clears throat> join in this song as a daily prayer for our Lenten journey. Gather us in and hold us forever. Gather us in and make us your own. Gather us in all peoples together. Fire of love in our flesh and our bone. Amen.